NFL teams have rarely started a pair of rookie tackles in the season opener. What has happened in the two previous instances, and what does that mean for the Seahawks potentially being the third team to do so in 2022? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our latest installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our latest episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. It's officially Tackle Tuesday. Glad to have you on board, as always, making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're now seven days away, officially one week away from the Seahawks kicking off the 2022 training camp, getting the new season going. And we're going to be breaking down the tackle groups on offense and defense. Again, it's Tackle Tuesday here on Locked On Seahawks. And be checking out a very young and experienced offensive tackle group and a pretty experienced seasoned defensive tackle group on the other side of the ball. Also going to be taking a look at some history that the Seahawks could potentially be making during the 2022 season. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Since 1970, only two teams have started a pair of tackles, a pair of rookie tackles, in the season opener. It hasn't happened since 2009. It also happened in 1982. There's a very good chance, Rob, the Seattle Seahawks could become team number three to fulfill this accomplishment. And as we've talked about earlier, Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, if they win the starting job, there's a lot of reason for excitement, but also there's plenty of reasons to be pretty worried because throwing two rookie tackles out against NFL pass rushers at the same time in week one can be a pretty scary proposition. A lot of excitement about the future for this franchise with those two as foundational pieces, but at the same time, concerns in the present, are those two going to necessarily be ready? And you know they're going to go through their lumps. Yeah, that's the concern. Um, is there's no talent? There's no question that uh, that Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas are incredibly talented. Um, but at the same time, when you are going to be going up against pass rushers like Nick Bosa and uh, you know JJ Watt, uh, you know and obviously Aaron Donald, when you go inside the defensive tackle position with the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams. But my point is, is that yeah, the NFC West, even after losing guys like like Chandler Jones and Von Miller, Corbin, and um, it, the NFC West still is loaded with talented pass rushers and guys who can hold up at the point of attack uh, and, and be able to defend the run. So either way, Seattle's uh, idea of starting two rookie offensive tackles is a risky one. Um, and as you mentioned, there's only been two times in NFL history um, that we have seen that happen. Um, and that being back in 1982 with the St. Louis Cardinals and Luis Sharp at the left tackle position, Tootie Robbins at right tackle. Um, and then as well in 2009 uh, in, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, Eugene Monroe at left tackle, Eben Britton at the right tackle positions. And for our, our YouTube viewers who are able to kind of see the graphic that Corbin created for us, you can see that with those 1982 Cardinals, they finished five and four. That was a strike shortened season and they lost in the wild card uh but you can see that that's not a in, you know very highly successful uh franchise starting those two rookie tackles and the 
same thing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Seven and nine missed the playoffs. Again, not highly successful, not Super Bowl contenders, but not the, the, the train wreck of seasons that I think a lot of naysayers might expect. And to me, Corbin, one of the most exciting things about it from a Seahawks perspective, if you really break down these four players, Sharp, Robbins, Monroe, and Britton, all of them wound up being multi-year starters for their respective franchises. A couple of them uh, you know, wound up being pro bowlers. So considering how talented that Seattle's two rookie tackles are, um, you know, and the fact that we have seen this happen in the past, I actually, through this exercise, am a little bit more optimistic um, that, that Seattle's rookie off the tackles might be able to survive this upcoming 2022 NFL season. Louis Sharp was a three-time Pro Bowler, and Eugene Monroe ended up being a Pro Bowler. I think his best days were in Baltimore, though, after leaving Jacksonville. That's something that happens quite a bit for the Jaguars, where players leave and end up doing better with other teams. That's unfortunately been a reality for the Jacksonville franchise for much of their history. But yeah, I would agree with you. Going back and looking at these two prior examples, it's a very small sample size for a reason. Teams are hesitant to start rookie offensive linemen, let alone two of them at the tackle positions. It just hasn't happened very much since the merger. But Sharp and Robbins both started over 130 games in the NFL and were pretty solid. Robbins never made a Pro Bowl, but he was a longtime starter for the Cardinals and played more than 10 years in the NFL. And Sharp was outstanding as well, as I mentioned, three Pro Bowls. Uh, Evan Britton's probably the weakest link of those four players. And he was a starter for several seasons in the NFL. Never necessarily lived up to the hype coming into the league. Many thought that he might be a potential Pro Bowl caliber talent. That never came to fruition. But he was a multi-year starter. So all four of these players had success in the league to varying degrees. So that should be a reason for optimism for the Seahawks going into this. There are going to be lumps, undoubtedly, if both Lucas and Cross are starting in week one. But I also think it shows that you can be competitive. That Jaguars team in 2009, they had been a playoff team in earlier seasons leading up to that. So there was some disappointment. But at the same time, there was a lot of roster turnover they had made, particularly on the offensive line. And they still finished 7-9. and nine. Not a great record, but... We've seen Jacksonville consistently win two or three games a season, especially in recent years. So seven and nine by their standards is pretty good. That is a middling team, middle of the pack. They finished fourth in the AFC South, but still they were competitive around 500. And the Cardinals in that strike shortened season went five and four. And as you mentioned, made the wild card round and the Green Bay Packers absolutely spanked them, put up 41 on the scoreboard, but the Cardinals still got to the playoffs that year. So there is proof there that a team can have two rookie tackles and get to the postseason. The caveat, of course, it was a strike-shortened season. That certainly is something to account for. But the Seahawks should have some optimism going into this process, especially if Cross and Lucas are able to hit the ground running as run blockers. I think that is still the, the big thing that everybody's looking at. They were great pass protectors playing in pass-heavy offenses. Both of them played for Mike Leach at the college level. So they were not run blocking very often when they were playing in those offenses. Can they handle playing out of a three-point stance, firing out, and blocking in the run game? If those two players are able to adjust quickly and improve quickly in that regard, then they've got a chance to have some immediate success. And that's great for the Seahawks now. It's really great for the Seahawks down the line. But they truly have a chance now to make history. And based on what we're seeing right here, at least the first two instances – the teams were able to get multi-year starters out of both those players, which would be a good omen for the Seahawks.
Well, it certainly would be. And I, I think that when you look at both of these two examples, Corbin, the, there's a lot of similarities with the, the most recent one in Jacksonville in 2009. Um, you know, Eugene Monroe was considered one of the most, uh, you know, polished offensive tackles available that year. Jason Smith wound up going a little bit earlier than him. But like Charles Cross, he was viewed as a just exquisite pass blocker, kind of pro ready out of the box. Um, and, and so it was not a surprise at all when he wound up starting his entire rookie season and as you mentioned um, later went on to Pro Bowl status when he got traded from Jacksonville to the Baltimore Ravens. Um, so I think that there's a similar comparison there. Very established, uh, very proven left tackle and Eugene Monroe came from Virginia, was the ACC Jacobs Blocking Trophy Award winner. Again, just very celebrated just like Charles Cross is. And then you have Eben Britton who was selected early in the second round. Charles uh, Abraham Lucas, of course, early in the third round for Seattle, but both of them were very productive longtime starters in the Pac-12. Lucas, of course, of Washington State. Uh, I remember Evan Britton at, uh, at Arizona back when the Wildcats were actually pretty relevant uh, in, in the 2022 NFL. I've talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars having their struggles. The Arizona Wildcats, unfortunately, Corbin, have had their struggles as well. But still, kind of like the Washington State Cougars. There, there were some questions about will uh, Britain be able to come into the NFL and contribute immediately. I I was higher on Britain than most, was not at all surprised to see him come into the NFL and be successful. I've been higher on Lucas throughout this process than most expect him to be successful also. So again, it is going back to 2009, but it's not going all the way back to 1982. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't evaluating players back then when I was six <laughs> years old, Corbin. But uh, uh, but still, I, I think that Seahawks fans should take some solace in the idea that rookie tackles can be successful in the NFL. And again, that was a highly competitive uh, AFC South division back in the day with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And yet they still had some success. So that bodes pretty well for, for Seattle's, Seattle's rookie, class, rookie tackles also. Yeah, it really does. It's a good omen. Now, obviously, they got to go out and they got to perform. Every single one of these instances is different. There's different circumstances. You're playing in a vaunted division, the NFC West. So uh, not everything is created equal here. There's a lot of apples compared to oranges type things, but the Seahawks have reasons for optimism. There's no question about it. We're going to continue breaking down the tackle group in our latest training camp preview installment. A key question that we're trying to have answered, spotlight players, and some bold predictions as we head into the 2022 season. If you're living paycheck to paycheck or struggling to make ends meet, it can be really stressful when unexpected expenses come up. Now Dave can help you get out of a pinch when you really need it. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. That's more money to fill your tank, buy a wedding gift, or catch up on bills. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups, and there's no interest and no credit check needed. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand for future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now. That's D-A-V-E. Sign up for an extra cash account and get it to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fee. Apply. Banking provided by Evolve. Member FDIC. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making the Locked On Seahawks podcast your first listen five days a week. We're officially one week away from the start of Seahawks training camp. 
It's day two of our training camp preview. We just talked history potentially in the making for the Seahawks in the tackle position. We're going to continue looking at the tackle spot because it's a critical one. Left tackle and right tackle, two very pivotal spots on any NFL offense. And Seattle could potentially have a pair of rookies starting. And I think that lends itself perfectly to what the essential question is here. You and I, we were talking about when we were creating these segments, maybe you and I both come up with an essential question. And for the most part, we keep coming up with the same one. And it's really a key question on the offensive line in general, but specifically at tackle. Does talent trump experience? Because we know Charles Cross is a big-time talent, top 10 selection. Abraham Lucas gave up zero sacks at Washington State last year. Was a rising prospect coming from the Cougars program. So both these guys, they're athletic. They're big body, long arm. They, they project well to be NFL tackles in the modern game. And yet, coming from offenses where they hardly run blocked. And so there are certainly some question marks for them coming into the league. And when you're going against Joey, uh, against Nick and Joey Bosa, they're going to face both of them this year. You're going against Eric Armstead. You're going up against Leonard Floyd. All the great rushers that are going to be on the schedule. Uh, yeah, the growing pains, they are going to be real. But the question is, going younger, is that going to end up benefiting the Seahawks quicker than expected? Or are those growing pains really going to set this team back this year? Well, that is a great question. Um, I, I think that it's going to be a little bit of both. I, I think that it is going to set the team back a little bit this year. That's why I think that whoever is the starting quarterback, as we discussed yesterday, Corbin, um, that he is no guarantee to be able to start all 17 games because it could be a little bit of turnstiles uh, at the tackle positions if you do have the you know the, the rookies playing as much as we expect. And you know, let, let's be real. I mean, even if Seattle decides to go with the quote-unquote veteran route, than Jake Curran, who has all of five career starts under his belt. That makes him the, the longest tenured offensive tackle on Seattle's roster at this point. Then, then still you have a great deal of inexperience out there on, on the periphery. And that is my biggest concern for, for this team. It's not quarterback. It is the, the inexperienced tackle. Um, and so I, I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation. We, we just talked about it. There's only two times in the last 35 years, essentially, that, uh, that NFL teams have tried this grand experiment that, that, that Seattle is going to do here at, at tackle. So, um, yeah, I think that there's certainly – we're talking about two incredibly talented football players. But at the same time, that's one of the things that I have some huge concerns about. And that would be just kind of skipping ahead one of the bold – uh, predictions that I have at the off to tackle position is I think that Seattle is going to get halfway through training camp Corbin and perhaps even earlier and they might start poking around as for some veteran tackles maybe try to sign somebody perhaps a Dwayne Brown reunion um, or perhaps trading somebody we know that John Shire has done that specifically at in the secondary he's been really successful in doing that wouldn't be surprised to see Seattle go try to bring in some veteran who has some starting experience at the tackle position we know that has been a strategy that they have applied over and over again um, of having basically those coaches on the field. Um, so again, I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to do that because I do think that the early struggles by the tackles uh, 
for this club could put this team back a long ways. But at the same time, I think that that's kind of necessary. That if you want to win a Super Bowl, then you've got to develop these young offensive linemen and hopefully have your quarterback situation figured out next season and moving forward. And so you've got to, you know, to learn how to swim, you got to get wet, basically. And I think you got to put these rookie tackles out there as early as you possibly can, take their lumps, and hopefully the Seahawks will be better for it moving forward. Yeah, you've got to put them on an island. That's the way that it works now. You can't, you know, quarterbacks, you still maybe can have them sit for a year and learn under a veteran if you have an established star quarterback still on your roster. But that doesn't happen very much. And offensive line, you got to throw guys into the fire now with the understanding, yeah, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some uh, tribulations that we're going to have to deal with. But that's how you develop that player. And there's a balance to it. If a guy is struggling to a certain extent, there may be a line that gets crossed where you have to say, okay, this is not helping the player's development. They're struggling this much. Let's pull them back. Let's get a veteran in there. And then we can see if we can get that confidence built back up and then put them back in. So maybe that would be a reason to have a veteran around more than anything as an insurance policy in case, let's say Abraham Lucas does start in week one and just absolutely – gets dominated by the Denver Broncos edge rushers. The Seahawks might get a few games down the line and feel like, hey, this is hurting his development. Hey, Brandon Shell, you're still a free agent. Come on in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Shell's played a lot of games for you. So I wouldn't rule any of that out. In the ideal scenario, the Seahawks be able to keep both their rookies in, just let them go through their lumps, but they get better as the season progresses. That's what every team wants when they're putting rookie players in. So uh, that's especially true in the offensive line. So yeah, you look at the lack of experience they've got. Jake Curhan is the elder statesman, year two, former undrafted player with five starts. Stone Forsyth has 14 offensive snaps to his name. Cross and Lucas obviously haven't even played a preseason rep yet to this point. And Greg Island, who was in the practice squad all of last year, he hasn't played a rep uh, in the NFL either. So this is just an extremely ripe group at the tackle position, but... There's so much potential in this group. And we've talked a lot about Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas, what they bring to the table as far as being offensive linemen that were elite pass protectors at the college level. Lucas, no sacks allowed last year. Charles Cross, 716 pass blocking reps, gave up 16 total pressures in the SEC. Both these guys are proficient talents at keeping pass rushers away from the quarterback. Now, it's a different level when you're in the NFL going against the Nick Boses of the world. They're going to be challenged. There's no question about that. But these guys have been outstanding pass protectors basically since they came into college football, and they were two of the best last year, maybe the two best in the entire country, and Seattle was able to get both of them. I want to spotlight, though, one other player that I believe, and I've talked about this a couple times, Abraham Lucas, Seattle wants him to win this job. But Stone Forsythe, being a sixth-round pick out of Florida last year, is still a very young player that came into the league with some technical stuff that he needed to work through, particularly need to get stronger at the point of attack. Leverage is always going to be an issue that he's got to deal deal with being six foot eight. But he is a really natural athlete. You can see the basketball background in him, the way that he moves around. He definitely got stronger this offseason. And Pete Carroll hinted that he was going to get a chance to compete at right tackle with Kerhan and Lucas. I still think he is the wild card to watch out of this group because of his athleticism. The fact that this is a guy that he wasn't a slouch at Florida. I mean, he was a pretty darn good pass protector at Florida going against SEC competition. 
just like Charles Cross was at Mississippi State. And that leap from year one to year two can be such a substantial one that it could put a guy like Abraham Lucas at a disadvantage because he hasn't been here before. This is his first year in the league. Stone Forsythe has experienced the rigors of a season, even if he didn't play many snaps. And he's now had a chance of a, another full offseason to get stronger work on his technique. And so that is a name that I would keep a very close eye on. I'm going to have him circled on the practice field consistently. I'm going to be watching him because I actually think there's a chance that he could have a better chance of being the starter there than Jake Curran. If Curran's going to get looks at guard, they might be viewing him more as a swing offensive lineman at this stage. Forsythe just has the athleticism advantage there. And I think that Andy Dickerson is going to be valuing that in a zone-heavy offense. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, I, I'm fascinated uh, with the right tackle uh, positional battle. I, I just think that, um, again, I feel like it's kind of like we talked about the quarterback with Geno Smith. You know what you have with Geno Smith, and then you're just hoping for the higher upside. Even though Jake Curran only has five starts, I feel like you kind of know what you have with him. And you're wondering if you're going to get be able to get even better play, maybe Rocky at first, but even better play from either uh, Lucas or Forsyth. And again, just because they have the size, the length uh, that that you would prioritize at that position. But I think that's going to be um, again a a fascinating one to kind of break down as, as we move forward. And again, just kind of going back to that whole idea of, of having any kind of veterans. We the the player that I would have spotlight spotlight would be Charles Cross. I mean, of course with him being the the crown jewel at this point of the trade of Russell Wilson, then you have to hit on this selection. And I think that Charles Cross is so darn athletic and so long, uh, such a gifted pass blocker core, but I think there's going to be times where he is going to get matched up and put on that island where you are going to see why Seattle made that selection. He is just so agile. Um, and pass protection, it's almost like a guy boxing somebody out in the NBA. But there's a reason why I wore this spring training hat, Corbin, and, and you kind of touched upon it. I think Seattle has to be willing to sit the rookie down if, if they have some struggles. And that's why I kind of go back to that veteran idea. And you mentioned Brandon Shell. I mentioned Dwayne Brown before. Obviously, there's a number of other veterans out there that don't have those Seattle ties. But I think that you have to have kind of the long term in, you know, in, in mind when you're going with these rookie offensive tackles. If you are worried about shattering the conference because JJ Watt just beat somebody for three sacks and, you know, in a series, then, you know, that's, that's big boy stuff. You, you have to be mentally tough enough to be able to handle that physical toughness is something we've talked about. I have some concerns about Seattle's tackles, but the mental toughness, I really feel confident about that with Lucas as a four-year starter. I feel confident about with Charles Cross, considering the rigors that he faced in the SEC, but they're still young players. Corbin and the NFC West is as good as it is. And there's just so much pressure on these tackles. I really think the tackle for the tackles for Seattle really are one of the biggest keys to how successful or unsuccessful they're going to be this upcoming season. Everybody's going to focus in on quarterbacks. I think the two tackle positions are critical to Seattle's chances this year. They absolutely are. If these two rookies can come in and start and play at a fairly high level right away. It sets the tone for the organization, not just this year, but in the future. In 2023, especially if you get a rookie quarterback that you're fired up about, the optimism meter is going to explode in the Pacific Northwest. It's not like that right now with Russell Wilson being out of town, Drew Locke, Gina Smith being the quarterbacks vying for that position and all the turnover. There's not a lot of optimism out here. But I think if you have two young tackles that play well, 
or at least play decent football as rookies and they're able to get a bunch of starts under their belt, then that optimism is going to be flowing next year with this Seahawks franchise. So no pressure here at all for Andy Dickerson and company to make this work. But obviously Jay Curran and Stone Forsythe also want to be in the mix. And so they've got four tackles there that have two years or less experience in the NFL, not a lot of snaps playing in regular season games. Regardless of who they go with, they're going to be playing inexperienced players that haven't seen much action in the NFL. That's both intriguing and frightening at the same time. So we'll have to see how this ends up playing out, who wins the starting jobs. But I think it's going to be very competitive at that right tackle position. I think Charles Cross, he's already cemented left tackle being a top 10 pick. And I think he's going to be starting against the Broncos in week one. We're going to flip to the other side of the line here in a moment with defensive tackles, a much different position group where you have a number of guys that have played a lot of snaps in the NFL, a lot different than the offensive tackle position. Again, we'll be looking at an essential question heading into training camp, spotlighting a few players and making some bold predictions. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given Coconut Brownie Chunk the puffs treatment, and they're delicious. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor you love. In a chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate, it's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen. They are good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time, so go to Built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out. They are going fast because they taste amazing. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides a ton of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Delicious coconut, rich sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com to order your box of coconut brownie chunk Built Puffs today. Go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. Again, that's Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tackle Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. Our national experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. Flipping over to the defensive side of the football as we continue our training camp preview. We just talked offensive tackles, a very inexperienced group. You can't say the same about this defensive tackle group, however, Rob. They're basically bringing back everybody from last year, and this was one of the strongest units on their team, even in a disappointing 7-10 season. They were in the top five in yards per carry allowed against run. They had a number of interior guys that racked up 30-plus pressures, so they had a very strong season at the defensive tackle position, but they brought everybody back. They've added a few new pieces as well. Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson coming back for his second stint in Seattle to go with Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet. There's still hope maybe maybe that LJ Collier can be the guy uh, that can rotate in and create some havoc as an interior pass rusher. They like Miles Adams as well. So I think the essential question really for this group is, with these new reinforcements added and everybody else returning, what can this defensive tackle group do for an encore, especially in a 3-4 defense like Clint Hurd is expected to deploy this year? 
That's a great question. Um, and I, I think another uh, question here to, to kind of ponder is what can some of these young players do? Because it feels like it's already been established who the starters are. Um, you know, you just uh, kind of pointed that out that the Seattle brought back, um, you know, veterans like Al Woods, Quinton Jefferson, et cetera. Um, and of course, we know that Puna Ford was extended a couple of years ago. Brian Monet was extended uh, just this past season as well. So if you're a young player like a, like a Miles Adams or Jared Hewitt, um, and you're scratching and clawing, trying to get some playing time. I mean, it's going to be a pretty uphill climb um, at this position because, again, it's it is the the exact opposite of offensive tackles that we talked about before, where there was very very little starting experience. You got some guys who are pretty long in the two. Thirty five year old Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson's twenty nine, but I think he's in his like eighth NFL season at this point. Obviously, his second go around here with the Seahawks, Shelby Harris is 30. Um, you know, so again, you have a great combination of experience, size, power, and then you also have some kind of undersized guys who I think fit in traditionally a little bit better with a four, three alignment rather than a three, four. And that's why I think some of those undersized guys, those shorter, quicker guys that are relying on their initial quickness to be penetrators, guys like Puna Ford, uh, you know, as well as Hewitt, I just mentioned him, Miles Adams as well, just mentioned him also. Those are the kind of guys that I, my eyes are going to be on because I think that there's basically only going to be, uh, you know, room for one, maybe two of those players. So who is going to be the guys that are going to be able to be those penetrators and make some big plays? Because, you know, you've got plenty of big bodies to be able to hold up against the run. Let's start off with spotlighted players here, because as you just mentioned, there's a lot of noteworthy players in this defensive line group. Puna Ford, Al Woods, Brian Monet just got an extension, had a really strong third season in the league. Shelby Harris and Quentin Jefferson have been really good players for several years running. I'm going to spotlight Shelby Harris coming over the Russell Wilson trade. As you mentioned, he's not a young player necessarily. He's 30, but you know, defensive tackles can play into their mid-30s at a high level. We're seeing that with Al Woods and Last year, had another really productive season rushing the quarterback. Three of the past five years, he's had five or more sacks. So he's been pretty consistent getting after the quarterback. And what I think makes him a great fit now, this is a guy that's been dominant playing in Vic Fangio's 3-4 defense. He knows what this defense is going to be like, how it operates. And so having somebody like that that can help some of the other players here that have been playing primarily in 4-3 defensive fronts, that leadership that he brings to the table, the experience. They don't have it on the offensive line and offensive tackle, but they do at defensive tackle. Bringing in a guy like Harris who has excelled playing that three-tack or four-eye technique in a 3-4 defense and been one of the most underrated interior defensive linemen in the league is a big deal. And, of course, being able to get after the quarterback was a struggle for the Seahawks as a whole last year. And I think having the ability to – really collapse that pocket or penetrate. Harris can do both. He can win with power. He can win with finesse, with a quick first step. And he's just, he's a savvy veteran that understands how to get the job done. Having a player like that, I believe, is going to have a domino effect on the rest of this defensive line. Because we kind of saw what happened when Carlos Dunlap arrived and Jaron Reed really took off the end of the 2020 season. That can be a cat and mouse game. And I could see this being an instance where if you have somebody like Harris or even Quentin Jefferson, who's had 30 or more pressures for straight years, he might not get the sacks, but he gets the pressures. Having interior rushers like that added to an already really good 
interior defensive line is going to pay dividends for everybody else is trying to get after the quarterback. And I think Harris is one of those sneaky additions coming back in this Russell Wilson trade that has a chance to really be an impact player on this defense in 2022. No, he does. And obviously anybody who watched Al Woods and just how incredibly productive that he was. I mean, there were times he just dominated games uh, a season ago. And so I I think that uh, the the track record is pretty impressive with Seattle being able to get um, veteran defensive linemen who are able to come in and be incredibly productive um, and and make an impact. It's kind of quite the contrast, what we've seen, say, in the secondary uh, or at the cornerback position specifically. The, the player that I wanted to kind of focus in on here for a moment, um, with all due respect to Shelby Harris, I agree with the points that you just made in here, Corbin, but I, I want to talk about Puna Ford a little bit, and not just because the guy is just a a, a physical freak in some ways, and I, I mean that with all due respect. I mean, at 5'11", 310 pounds, I, I would have no idea what that size actually looks like in person or anything, but when, when you're built like that to have the quick and agility that Puna Ford has, it really does make him a very unique player. Um, but at the same time, it, it one who's also uniquely uh, built when it comes to the 3-4 defense. And so I have my concerns about how well he's going to be able to hold up as kind of that traditional nose guard or playing that under tackle position. Um, and I especially have concerns about it, considering the fact that he is the highest paid player on Seattle's roster at this point, Corbin. And that might take some, uh, catch some people by surprise. Um, but of course, when you get rid of guys like Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, your salary cap things are going to change. But at this point, Puna Ford has the highest base salary at $7.9 million. Second on Seattle's roster right now is Gabe Jackson at six. Million, um, and then the cap hit is ten million uh, and seven and seventy five thousand, so ten point oh seven five million dollars, which is a four point six percent salary cap hit. The only one who's even close to that is Tyler Lockett. Um, now, of course, DK Metcalf could change all of these numbers here in a moment. My point is is that we had the conversation previously at the linebacker with Bobby Wagner, and was he making enough impact plays? To be the highest-paid player on the roster, Puna Ford has to uh, produce more than six tackles for loss, more than two sacks. Uh, you know, and, and while he set a career high, I believe, with 53 tackles a year ago, um, at the same time, they've got to be more impactful plays to justify the money that he is getting. That's a perfect segue into my bold prediction because I don't know that when you have a group like this, it doesn't necessarily feature a star, but has a number of really good players. You know, it's it's hard to come up with bold stats necessarily because I think this is going to be a group where the group is really better than the sum of the parts. All these guys together makes this a very formidable defensive line. But I've been saying it the last couple of years. We just it seems like Puna Ford has been so close to exploding as a pass rusher. We saw at the end of the 2020 season. I thought he was going to have a big year rushing the passer. I actually think that this is the season that finally happens, in part because he's playing for a new contract. This is the last year of his deal. And I think that is going to be in his mind. He's always been motivated anyway as a former undrafted rookie. But I'm not going to go as bold as I did last year. I thought last year he had a chance to maybe get six or seven sacks. I think in a 3-4, it's going to be a little bit tougher for him to do that. But I'm still going to go close to being half a dozen. I'm going to say five sacks. And I'm going to say 40 pressures for him this year. And I don't think that's that bold when you consider he's had 
more than 30 pressures each of the last two years. I think he takes a slight uptick there, and I think a number of those turn into sacks. I just have a feeling with the additions of some of the other players they brought in, that's going to help him as a pass rusher when he's on the field. So that would be my bold prediction. I think Puna Ford finally has that semi-breakout year rushing the passer. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'll kind of follow that same vein for my bold prediction. I think that the Puna Ford of the preseason is going to wind up being Miles Adams for the Seahawks, um, that he is going to wind up being the, the leader in the interior in terms of getting some of the kind of statistics that are going to kind of raise the eyebrows of Seattle's coaches, fans, um, and scouts for the Seahawks, as well as other clubs. As we talked about before, Corbin, I think this is going to be a really jam-packed uh, defensive tackle rotation and i think that there's going to be a lot of guys competing for very few roster spots and so there's going to be have to be somebody who is going to make some plays to be able to kind of carve out a roster spot i think that miles adams has enough quickness uh and enough uh motivation frankly at this point that he is really going to create some eye-popping plays uh to make a late push for a roster spot yeah you've got adams hewitt lj collier probably going to have one of those three on the roster. So there is going to be an intense battle at the bottom of the depth chart trying to make this football team. And Adams played really well in two games last year, late in the season. If he's able to adjust well to playing in a 3-4, he could certainly be a name to watch that might be able to send LJ Collier packing potentially. There are some question marks at the bottom of the depth chart, some intriguing fascinating matchups that we're going to be seeing play out in training camp as always you can follow me on twitter at corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang make sure to check out the locked on seahawks podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and five days a week streaming on youtube when we return for our wednesday episode we're going to continue our training camp preview with running backs and safeties you won't want to miss it enjoy the rest of your tuesday thanks for listening go hawks